According to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're here for the purpose of growth. Join me, if you would, in Philippians. We're going to be uh, approaching the end of Philippians chapter 1, and I'm really eager to get into chapter 2. I think with the new year we should be there, but um, some details still we've got to put together to wrap up the last little bit here in uh, chapter 1, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Or even back up to verse 29, we haven't uh, finished the detail out of verse 29 either, so we'll, we'll try to tackle that tonight. It's been about three weeks since we've been together on a Wednesday night, so I appreciate uh, Lewis and Cornelius and appreciate the, the men that filled in for me and, and the grace that allowed me to be away for a little bit, and uh, good to be back. Good to have our visitors with us tonight as well. I'm going to open us up with a word of prayer and then uh, we'll begin. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for tonight and the uh, blessing that is ours to assemble together. We thank you for the truth of your word, um, for the rain, Father. It's a good reminder that uh, as the rain goes forth, so too does your word go forth. And it uh, goes forth with a purpose. It does not return void. It accomplishes the purpose for which you sent it. We thank you for that. We call upon that faithfulness tonight as we assemble together in the questions that are asked, the answers that are given, the word that's taught. Uh, we've already had our prayer time, Father, and, and the encouragement, fellowship. All, everything that's done tonight might be done for the glory of your Son, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to have questions here in a moment. Before we do that, though, um, like I say, I asked uh, if Pastor Tanny would come and, and, and bless us. Of course, we've had Hugh and Cindy many, many times, and we know, we know them. We've known of them for years. Uh, but we have these prayer lists and praying for pastors and praying for churches and including, um, you know, churches and, and men that we've been praying for for years and uh, like Lakeland Bible Church and Pastor Tanny Sisson. And, but nobody has ever met him. Nobody knows who he is until tonight. So Tanny's with us tonight, and I asked him if he would introduce himself and bring a greeting from Washington State. Good evening. Greetings. So uh, the past few weeks I've been looking forward to coming to Texas in order to find some dry, warm weather. <laughs> and then all of a sudden things things changed. Um, but we... We just came from the pre-trib um, study group conference and uh, had just an enjoyable time there. And uh, tonight, it's been a privilege uh, to to join you in in the prayer group prayer meeting. Um, you know, I appreciate so much that that you all are praying for us. Uh, I know personally, I appreciate all your prayers for me because uh, uh, a lot of the times you feel like there's stuff going on. And the, it's it's always the circumstances are always far greater than what you know you can handle. And um, uh, so I'm oftentimes on bended knee, and and, uh, and and I recognize that there are others who who um, who are praying for me, and and I, I can't tell you how grateful I am for that. So thank you so very much. I, I think the folks at Lakeland. Thank you so very much. Uh, I, I think it, it has had an impact, a huge impact on, on the ministry there and what the Lord is doing there. So thank you once again for your hospitality. Thanks for having us. And we look forward to more teaching here. All right. Now, uh, Lewis, do you want to run the microphone for us? If you would, please. I left my microphone runner at home tonight. All right, we'd like to take a few moments for questions, uh, and uh, questions are always good, answers sometimes, and uh, pray for those. Um, we'll start right there on the back row then. I got the Bible software running, so we should be in good shape. A um, couple weeks ago, I had asked you about when Noah had cursed Canaan uh, in uh, Genesis 9. Mm -hmm. um, was that actually a cursing? Or was it basically a uh, prophecy considering how the Canaanites actually turned out? Both. Both? Yeah, it was a prophetic cursing. 
So uh, a curse upon Canaan, the person, as well as the descendants, the nations that descended from Canaan, the Canaanites, as we know them in, in Scripture. And that, that is an interesting aspect, though, because, you see, Canaan was not the one who did the deed. He was Ham who did the deed. Uh, that was what it was against his father there. And Shem and Japheth went in and very respectfully backwards and not looking and, and dealt with that. But Ham was the one that did the deed in, in the tent there when Noah was drunk. And it's, it's, it's curious. And if you ever study blessings and cursings, you ever study how Balaam is hired uh, to, to curse Israel and he said, I can't. You know, how do I curse whom God has blessed? See, and fundamentally, it's curious how it comes down to because Ham was under God's blessing already. Ham, Shem, and Japheth already had um, a blessing in the sense of being the survivors and descendant of Noah and, and prophecies made concerning them. And, and, and to me, it's a, it's a curious facet how Ham was not cursed, but his son Canaan was by virtue of the sin pattern that Canaan would replicate in uh in that so does that make sense uh, yeah and just a follow-up question on that as far as you know him not being the one who is cursed mm-hmm. was there some type of animosity or some type of rebellion from ham uh toward his father noah because it seems like it kind of had a this is a last straw type of thing and noah you know pronounced that cursing so was there some type of rebellion did he not get along with his father, Ham? The Bible doesn't tell us. No, Bible, okay. there, are, there are Jewish legends and there's a variety of other traditions, but the Bible itself is silent. And, and until that event, I mean, it's almost like you don't have a clue that there's anything hostile. So why is Ham doing this kind of a thing? Um, but yeah, the Bible doesn't go into that and I don't want to speculate along with the, the rabbis and what they were doing. All right, appreciate that. Other questions tonight? I remember that from... Well, that was like three or four weeks ago you asked me. Okay. All right, other questions tonight. Front row then. We like to do this back row, front row, left, right. That keeps our microphone runner. So when you were talking this morning in Proverbs uh-huh. about, the, uh, about the milk of the word being able to be understood by believers who were not in fellowship because mm-hmm. there are such baby believers, mm-hmm. but then farther on it requires being in fellowship can you talk a little bit more about that yeah that's um first corinthians chapter three when he said i gave you milk to drink and we, we understand in chapter two that the unbeliever can't take in anything he can't take meat milk whatever if it's if it's from the word of god then it's spiritual and it has to be spiritually appraised so the natural man cannot understand the word of god now the carnal believer on the other hand is in a similar position. No one loses their salvation, but when you're carnal you, because of that carnality you have um, an impact in your capacity to understand truth. In which case as a carnal believer you can't handle the meat. You can't handle the solid food. But milk is spoken of as it says uh, I brethren could not speak to you as to spiritual men but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. So you think, you know, what do you feed a baby? What does a baby, you know, a baby nurses, a baby takes in milk. So I said, I gave you milk to drink. And that's not speaking to them as spiritual men, that's speaking to them as carnal men, as to babes in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able. And so the milk is the only thing that can that can seep through. The milk is the only thing that a carnal believer can and in some respects, that's the, it's like the doctrine of rebound. I mean, that's milk doctrine right there. You, you talk to a carnal believer and say, you've got to get in fellowship. You've got to confess. And, and that will resonate. That will sink in. Uh, I, I believe that's the, the milk that a carnal believer can take in, but not the solid food. Okay. Good question. Appreciate that. All right, we'll cross the aisle. We'll be bipartisan over here on the left, the left wing. Yes, sir. Taking that a little further then, after... Suppose when a carnal believer confesses, he still needs milk, right? He will have a time of recovery whereby, that's right, he's going to get his appetite back, he's going to be nurtured back to health. Think of it as a, as a malnutrition, really, a malnourishment during the time of your starvation. You, you couldn't handle a steak when you first food. come off of a situation like that. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, you know, it is interesting because the, uh, back to Bill again, we'll give. I just wanted to 
Could you say that again, please? On the microphone. <laughs> About two weeks ago, I had sent you an email to ask you a question for Debbie, and you had said that to, it wasn't until today that you would be able to answer it. I don't remember the question. I was just wondering. If you I don't either. To... Yeah, you emailed me, and I was on vacation, and I, I okay. don't have that tonight. All right. That'll work. Sorry. I should have that. I will have that next week. Because, yes, that was Debbie's question, and she had a good question, too. It was about something in the Bible. <laughs> I don't remember, but yeah. Okay. A good Bible question. All right, then. Anything else? I know we've been kind of rusty. It's been, uh, it's been some time away, but appreciate that. All right, going once, going twice, auction complete. All right. Some people scratch their ears, and I think they're asking for a question. and uh, Put them on the spot. No, we're good. All right. Let's go to uh, Philippians chapter 1 then and uh, pick up uh, where we were. And, uh, of course, no one has lost their train of thought since our last time in Philippians. We're uh, in the final portion. Remember, we've broken this chapter down into uh, different segments, uh, and each one really has a key Scripture memory verse. I mean, this is a great chapter for Scripture memory. We have a salutation in verses 1 and 2, and then we took the rest of the chapter and broke it down into three parts, each part with a key memory verse, such as, uh, he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. I just love that. I love that so much, I want to go back and preach it all over again tonight, that the beginning is not the plan of God, that's the, that's the beginning. And the perfection, the completion, is what he's taking us to, individually and corporately, by the way, as we were looking at that. And then in the middle of the chapter, verses 12 through 18, it centers on my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. And that's powerful as well. So quit grumbling about circumstances. God's in charge of your circumstances. And he's put you where he wants you, so don't grumble about it. Just ask him, okay, how is this going to glorify Christ? How is this going to turn out for the greater progress of the gospel? And uh, we can be uh, like Christ, we can be like Paul in, in that regard. And then finally, the, uh, the closing part of the chapter here, verses 19 through 30, the end of the chapter, uh, centers on to live as Christ and to die as gain. And this was the conclusion Paul had come to when he was going back and forth in his prayer life and didn't know what to ask for. He didn't know I mean, the idea of going to heaven was exciting to him, but then the idea of staying here meant there was more fruit to bear, there was more work to be done on behalf of the Philippians and other believers. And so he wasn't sure uh, what to ask for, but he was able to conclude that to live is Christ. If you're not living for Christ, then why are you still here? What's the point in living? And to live is Christ. And so, um, you know, people that are afraid to die, that, that have regrets or have things they just, they, they wish they could do, they've got a bucket list and they've only down half their bucket or whatever. And, and they're terrified about dying because of all these earthly reasons, see. And uh, hopefully we can start to adopt this attitude. Paul is expressing it himself, but he's sharing it with the Philippians so they can express the same attitude. And you and I should be able to express that same attitude. The whole purpose for us living here is, is Christ. Uh, so, you know, I've, uh, the life that I now live, I live by faith, okay? And it's, it's Christ who lives in me. It's uh, no longer I who live. And so uh, a lot of principles that come out of this that we, we applied out of uh, Galatians 2 and, and aspects there. So this is where we are presently in this third section, to live as Christ and to die as gain. And uh, really we've seen eight main points, and I'm not going to repeat them all, but uh, the, the eight main points um, getting down now to these opponents. And that's what I want to center on tonight. So let me just real quickly... Uh, as we look at verses 27 through 30, we'll kind of review 6, 7, and then 8, and we can gain new ground here tonight. But under point 6, uh, Paul issues a powerful exhortation for the Philippians to apply until such time that he can be reunited with them. Okay, And in the, in the process here, as we see in verses 27, he says, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Only. Just, just that. Okay? Only. It's a pretty big only. All right? Uh, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's all you got to do. 
if you live your Christian walk in a manner that's worthy of the gospel, then there you go. You're fulfilling what Paul is commanding here for the Philippian believers to do. And, and this follows, it's interesting, this follows the back and forth where he's trying to make up his mind whether he wants to die or he wants to live or if he's going to stay or if he's going to go, that kind of thing. And he finally, he talks himself into the fact that he's going to stay. He says, convinced of this, in verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. That's finally what he settles on. He convinces himself, really, pathos the verb. He persuades himself, convinced of this, I'm here to stay. And uh, he knows that this particular imprisonment uh, is not going to end in his death. And so he's convinced of that. And so this is kind of an in the meantime kind of thing. He says, I'm going to come, I'm going to be with you, we're going to have more ministry. And until then, <clears throat> conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Goes on to say though in verse 27 that, okay, he's convinced but not completely convinced because he still allows the possibility that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. And so we can kind of take the last part of that verse and realize that's what he's driving at when he talks about walking in a manner worthy of the gospel with which we've been called. And dealing with the unity that we have, uh, that we have here in Christ. So anyway, that's uh, what we're dealing with there in, in point six. Uh, we talked about only and why only can be a pretty big only and how conducting yourself actually as a political term, operate as a citizen, function as a citizen. And uh, that kind of political language was powerful for an audience like Philippi where they were so um, thankful for their, their Roman citizenship and uh, the blessings there. Talked about worthiness and different things. All right. And then under point seven, we uh, spent some time talking about standing firm and highlighting the fact that it is the, the main verb of the text, but it's contemporaneous with a participle that's also in the text here that is the present active participle for striving together. So when it says that you are standing firm in one spirit, that's the main verb. That's what he wants to hear. He wants to get a report about them. If he can't be with them, he wants to hear news about them that, oh yeah, you know what those Philippian believers are doing? You know, tell me, I'm excited. You know, if, if a conversation starts like that and someone says, hey Paul, guess what the Philippians are doing? He's going to be all excited and say, tell me. Tell me they're standing firm. Tell me that they're striving together for the faith of the gospel. He's ready for that, as opposed to the Corinthian believers. If someone comes to him and says, hey Paul, you know what those Corinthian believers are doing? <sighs> okay, tell me. <laughs> you know, a big difference there between Philippi and Corinth and, and how they were conducting themselves. Anyways, we've talked about standing firm and we've talked about striving together and it's useful for us when you see how they go together. And that's what a, a present participle does. It coincides with the action of the main verb. And when you see that, it, it helps. It helps me anyway. And I hope it was a blessing for you as well to recognize that standing firm is not a passive thing. Standing firm is very active because striving together for the faith of the gospel, striving, that's active. That means we're fellow athletes that means we have soon combined with athleo and we're working together in an athletic uh, synchronized kind of way, right? And so uh, that's, that's what we deal with. It's very active. It's very involved. And if you've got a, a or I'll just preach to myself, you know, I used to think that all those imperatives to stand firm were the easiest commands in the Bible. Man, you mean I just got to stand there? You know? And, and I don't have to do anything? I just have to stand there? And, and okay, I get it, there's going to be flaming arrows and whatever, but I got my armor, so who cares? I just have to stand there. And, and standing firm is not just this passive standing there, doing nothing kind of thing. We see that it's striving together for the faith of the gospel. That's what he's talking about when he means stand firm. And so we have that. So we dealt with steko and we dealt with soon athleo. Soon athleo to strive together. Synchronized athleticism, um, if you will. Which now finally gets us to the conclusion of the chapter, which is 28 through 30. And all the fun things, opponents, suffering, and conflict. <laughs> right? It's like lions and tigers and bears, oh my, from the Wizard of Oz movie, right? Um, opponents and suffering and conflict, oh my. Okay? Don't be afraid of them. Be happy. Be excited. Recognize that if you have opponents and sufferings and conflicts, that's not something to be alarmed about. 
but to be excited by because it's a sign. It, in fact, it's a two-sided sign. It goes, it, you can flip it over, and it, it's a sign in two directions. All right? Opponents suffering and conflict are not alarms, but signs. So let's look at these verses. Verses 28, 29, and 30, and that'll wrap up our chapter. It says, in no way, in not even one way, alarmed by your opponents. So the, the, the not being alarmed, that's the sign. In not one way alarmed, that's the sign. Not being alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign, two things. First of all, of destruction for them. So one side of that sign is destruction. And that's pointed their direction. On the other side of the sign, same sign, it is a sign of salvation for you. All right? And so we got to deal with these issues the destruction question, the salvation question. And it's the same sign. And the same sign, it requires opposition, it requires conflict, it requires suffering, it requires all these things going on. And you're not alarmed. You're not alarmed at all. You're as cool as a cucumber. You're, you're just fine. Not alarmed, not worked up about it. And uh, this, is, this is what Paul had learned in his, uh, in his circumstances. Because there was a crowd of people trying to get him alarmed. A whole crowd of people was preaching Christ for, for uh, false reasons, with uh, bad motivation. You might remember as we uh, talked about these two groups, one on the one hand, the other on the other hand. And uh, you can find it in uh, verses uh, oh, 14 through 17 there. And it, it says, uh, you know, you got a group of them that are doing it out of love, but then this other group, man, they're proclaiming Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives. And they're thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. That was their whole purpose. Motivated to preach the gospel to get Paul all upset. <laughs> and it didn't work. He wasn't upset in the slightest. He was rejoicing. He goes, wow, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is being preached. So, hey, let's rejoice. That's a good thing. And if you're not alarmed by your opponents, especially when they are just dedicated to causing you all kinds of alarm, and there's no alarm, there's no alarm, then that's a sign, okay? It's a sign of their destruction. It's a sign of your salvation. That, uh, that God's grace is with you, this test you're going to pass with flying colors, and uh, you're ready for the next one as far as that goes. So uh, this two-sided sign. And uh, under this, we talked about the indexis, the demonstration, the sign, the proof that in even one single, not, it should be not, not in even one single way alarmed, not in even one single way and that's, uh, that's the whole point. Satan loves to get believers' eyes off of the Lord, off of heaven, off of, onto self, onto problems. Uh, remember how the, the admonition came in Second Thessalonians that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or disturbed? That's what Satan loves to do. Get you so rattled that the last thing you think about is reciting Bible verses or claiming promises or just going to prayer and occupying with Christ. Instead, you're all wrapped around the axle and you just want to grab something and do something. Okay? And Satan loves that. Because anything you're going to do on that basis is going to be carnality, it's going to be uh, wood, hay, and stubble, it's going to be detrimental to your Christian walk, so Satan doesn't really care what you do as long as you're not doing it for the glory of Jesus Christ. Anyway, it's a demonstration, a sign, or a proof. And so the idea of endexis, also apodexis, some of the vocabulary we looked at there as far as what these signs are concerned. And we're not exactly looking for a sign, um, but if you know anybody that wants a sign, say, well, okay, I've got a sign for you. <laughs> Just uh, get ready for some conflict and some opposition and some adversaries, and, and uh, then you'll have a sign. Okay? But you've got to keep your eyes on the Lord, and uh, that should become clear. And then as far as these other two things goes, um, destruction and salvation, you know, clearly what side of the sign do you want to be looking at? You know, I want to be looking at the salvation side, okay? And so if you're on the wrong side of that sign, then that requires, uh, you got you to gotta look at that, okay? Now, um, you understand what we're talking about in terms of salvation here, okay? How many times have I taught you this? Are you tired of hearing this? The positional truth, the experiential truth, the ultimate truth. What are we talking about? 
experiential. Thank you. Yeah, we're not talking about a, a Billy Graham evangelism moment whereby you believe in Christ, you receive eternal life, and you're not going to go to hell when you die. We're not talking about the moment of your regeneration or your conversion. We're talking about the salvation for you experientially in this test. The ongoing salvation that we get day by day, moment by moment in the, in the Word of God. So if you're solid on that, um, that's good. Okay? Because I'm going to keep preaching it. I think believers get rusty on it and then it ends up in all kinds of confusion. And um, we don't want to be confused there. So yes, salvation for the Philippians and uh, the different uses of soteria, the different uses of the verb sozo, the noun soteria, other uh, concepts there. That And it's not just salvation, it's sanctification, it's other things that if we can be clear between the positional reality and the experiential reality, we, we do ourselves a, a world of, of difference. It's a big favor to be able to rightly divide the word of truth on that basis. All right. And so that's uh, what we deal with there. Now, um, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted. So here's a grace gift. Our verb here is charizomai, and it talks about a grace gift. To you it has been grace given for Christ's sake, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. And that's what we have here. Our grace gift. So back to higher point here. 8B. All right. The understanding between A and B, there's a 1 and a 2. I just kind of took that off and put that on a different slide. You followed that? All right. Our grace gift is not only to be saved. You know, think about that. The gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. I love that. There's more. <laughs> okay? But wait, there's more. There's not only to be saved, there's not only eternal life, there's not only forgiveness of sins, there's not only all these wonderful things, there's also suffering. Which is also a wonderful thing. Okay? Not fun, we're not masochistic, we're not going to enjoy it while it's happening. But the benefits of it, the results of it, the the glory that accrues because of that, the uh, maturity that develops in that, the, uh, the way that the suffering equips us. That's why Jesus suffered. He learned obedience through the things that He suffered. It was suffering that qualified Him to be the merciful and faithful high priest that He is today. And so what we're learning in Hebrews is, is actually going hand in hand with what we're learning here tonight. Why did he suffer? Why do we suffer? Same reason. All right. He was being suited for what he's doing now. We're being suited for what we are going to be doing when we get there. Okay? We want these things to be clear. So our grace gift is not only to be saved, that's isn't it? Yeah, that's great enough. But beyond that, also to suffer on behalf of Christ. So it is called a grace gift. It is called uh, the verb is charizomai, is, is the term that's translated here, granted. You know, you think charis, that's grace. This is, a, this is the verb form of charis, it's charizomai. And sometimes, depending on, on its context and usage, charizomai means to forgive, right? Sometimes uh, it has a thankfulness attached to it. But really what it means is to give freely. Anything that you give freely. And that's what forgiveness is, by the way. Forgiveness is you are freely giving that person over to the Lord. <laughs> you are releasing any obligation for uh, retribution or repayment or anything at all. Uh, you've, you've done me harm, you've done me dirt, but you know what? I'm releasing that altogether. My gift to you is that I'm not holding that against you. I'm leaving that in the hands of God's justice. That's forgiveness. Forgiveness is a grace application, always. And so in this verb, we've got uh, charizomai with 23 New Testament uses. I'm only giving you uh, like six of them here or seven. Uh, but the idea of giving freely. We have been given our sufferings freely by God's grace. Just like our salvation is freely by God's grace. Nothing we've done to earn it, nothing we've done to deserve it. Okay? And that's, that's, that's going to help us endure some of the sufferings we're going to go through. Because all too often we get hit with a little bit of suffering, just a tiny little amount, and then we start to pout about it. And we start to not like it. And we start to say, well, I don't deserve this. And as soon as you say that, or even think it, 
as soon as that creeps into your attitude, what are, what are you really saying? You've forgotten the fact that this is by grace. Of course you don't deserve it. <laughs> okay, Grace means you can't earn it, can't deserve it, and that includes the suffering as well as the salvation that, uh, that He has provided. So Romans 8.32, if you think about this, what do you think about in Romans 8? You think about there's no separation, right? It's the grace of God that has uh, been freely given. So Romans 8, 32, I'll back up, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things if God is for us? Who is against us and who cares? <laughs> right? Who is against us and who cares? It doesn't matter. God's for us. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him, charizomai, freely give us all things? Freely give us all things. And that includes our suffering. What it is He calls for us to do today in suffering to, uh, for the body of Christ and in, in filling up the measure of what's lacking in Christ's afflictions. The suffering that we're suffering today, we're suffering by the grace of God. And that's a beautiful thing. It's His grace that calls us to suffer. Not only to be saved, but also to suffer for His sake. And so uh, He who did not spare His own Son and that answers the other question I, I mentioned a little bit ago. Uh, when you start to think that you don't earn this, you don't deserve this, you're better than this, why should you have to do this? Why does this always happen to me? Why can't this happen to the next guy? <laughs> you know, whatever. Um, well, why should it not happen to you? You, you? you rate some kind of exemption or something? You, God can't help Himself? He just looks at you and goes, oh wow, that's, uh, He doesn't deserve anything. Let me just, no which one of us would be entitled to some kind of suffering exemption when his own son was not entitled to a suffering exemption? See, he who did not spare his own son, if there was anybody in the history of humanity that deserved not to be suffering, it was him. And yet he suffered. In the plan of God, it was necessary for him to suffer. So if he doesn't rate an exemption, I certainly don't. You certainly, none of us do. Who does? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him? Okay, and it's with him. Everything he grants us is with Christ, in Christ. This is what grace does. Freely give us all things. So this is freely given by the grace of God. How about 1 Corinthians 2.12? 1 Corinthians 2.12. Another enjoyable text. Dealing with this this morning about the natural man uh, can't understand uh, the things from the Word of God. It says in verse 12, now we have received not the Spirit of the world but the Spirit who is from God. Why? So that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Without a living human spirit we cannot freely know what the God of grace is freely giving. So we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. The natural man, you know, the, the natural man is stand, understands nothing from the Word of God, but that sum total of all the nothing he doesn't understand, the biggest nothing he doesn't understand is grace. It's bigger than any other everything else that he doesn't understand, Okay? Grace is something that Satan doesn't even attempt to counterfeit. He can't. All he can do is just substitute legalism for it because there's no substitute for grace. And so um, to know the things freely given to us by God, the things that are chrysomied to us by God, we have uh, the Spirit. What a blessing. How about Galatians 3.18? Remember this one? Galatians wasn't that long ago. Some of you weren't here in the First Corinthians series, so I'll give you an excuse. But Galatians was not that long ago. Galatians 3.18. See, um, verse 17, what I'm saying is this, the law, which came 430 years later, does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. And that's a big deal, all right? So promise is given to Abraham and then 430 years later here comes law. What's that about? 
Does that replace the promise? Is, is, this, uh, is this the first instance of replacement theology here? We're going to do away with the Abrahamic covenant and replace it with the Mosaic law? Not at all. For if the inheritance is based on law, it is no longer based on promise. But God has charizomai, freely given, freely granted, freely graced it to Abraham by means of a promise. The, the Abrahamic covenant is, is unconditional. It's grace. It's all about I will. And there's no if you do this, if you do this, if you do this. There's none of the conditional things that, are, that uh, Mosaic law is, is characterized by. And so it's, uh, it's a free gift, freely granted to Abraham by means of a promise. And uh, there you go. Philippians 1.29, of course, is our text tonight. But look what happens. It comes back again in Philippians 2. More grace. Philippians 2.9. Uh, talking about uh, the victory uh, that happens here uh, because he humbled himself and was victorious when he ascended. Um, verse 8 says, being found in appearance as a man... He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him. He has victory awards on the basis of, of, uh, of what he did on the cross. He wouldn't be entitled to those otherwise. Had he not gone to the cross, had he uh, insisted on his will instead of the Father's will in Gethsemane, saying, these are the, these are the things the Father freely gives. Notice, God also highly exalted him and bestowed on him, this, that's charizomai, the name which is above every name. Freely bestowed. And so you think about the Father freely bestowing that name on the Son, you realize it's the same concept when God freely bestows suffering on you and me. Thank Him for it. That's more charizomai in action. Okay? We can't just praise God for the charizomai when it's good stuff. That's like Job's wife. Okay? The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God in His charizomai activity is blessing us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. He's also blessing us with suffering here in time. It's the same charizomai activity that God is bestowing upon each one of us. Thank Him for it. And then finally Philemon 22. Right, Philemon. And uh, aim for Hebrews and back up a book. Tucked in between Titus and Hebrews. This is a book I've thought about memorizing. And if I, and if I say it out loud, then I'm accountable and I have to recite it. But um, wasn't that great Sunday morning? Was that not a blessing? We, um, yeah, the, the, uh, James Wojcik was with us and he opened, have you ever met the Wojciks? N.A. Wojcik was the old man. He started... Uh, Scripture Memory Fellowship, and you need to memorize Scripture. And He left us a stack of these in the foyer, by the way, so make sure you pick one up. Anyway, he's with the Lord now, but his son um, is now the director, the head. And boy, you talk about pressure. How do you get a job like that? You're going to be the new president of Scripture Memory Fellowship. Can you memorize Bible verses? <laughs> wow. Uh, but he does, I tell you. As he got up here Sunday morning and recited 2 Timothy, the book. All four chapters. And uh, wow. Anyway, that was, that was a delight. I'll, I'll probably start with Philemon or something smaller. A little more modest. 25 verses, one chapter. But it's got a charizomai use in here. And that's uh, verse 22. Uh, he has confidence. He's persuaded in verse 21 of, of uh, Philemon's obedience. Since I write to you, I write to you since I know that you will do even more than what I say. At the same time also prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be charizomide to you. Through your prayers I will be freely given to you. And uh, this is worthwhile too. Study Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians, Philemon. Study the prison epistles and figure out where he's hoping to go when he gets out of jail. Is he hoping to go to Philippi? That's where he was hoping to go when he was writing Philippians. But is he hoping to go to Colossae? That's what he's talking about when he's writing to Philemon and to, and to Colossians. And where was he hoping to go when he wrote the Ephesians epistle? Where was he anyway? Anyway, homework on, uh, on that. 
Anyway, at the same time also, prepare for me a lodging. I hope through your prayers I will be charizomai, given to you. Freely given. Freely given to uh, Philemon and the saints there in Colossae. All right. So the grace gift is to be saved. The grace gift is to suffer. And uh, understand this. Now let me get back to what we're looking at. Philippians 1 uh, 29. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in Him but also to suffer for His sake. And so two objects of God's grace. First of all to believe. Secondly to suffer. By the grace of God we believe and by the grace of God we suffer. If you're thankful for the first you better be thankful for the second. Okay? And uh, it's just, otherwise it's just uh, it's, it's schizophrenic. It's, it's um, it, it's, it becomes nonsensical. You know, what did you think this was? <laughs> and, and I get it, I get it. There's a lot of bad gospel messages out there. There's a lot of hucksters and, 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 and you know, they paint a, a rosy picture. If you just get Jesus, you're going to, all your problems are solved. If you just get Jesus, get saved and you'll have a better marriage. You'll have, you know, all these other things. And, 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 and an evangelist who does that is, is providing a tremendous misservice. Because Jesus said in the world you will have tribulation. Be of good cheer, have overcome the world. That, you know, it's not the miracle stick to take away all your problems. It's not the magic wand. Um, the good news is, of course, when you're saved and all your suffering now can be redeemed for the glory of Jesus Christ. It can be laid up treasures in heaven. It can be divine good production. And, and there you go. Um, anyway, to suffer. The verb is pasco. The verb is Pascha. And we got a whole lot of Pascha in the New Testament. 42 uses of Pascha. And a whole lot of verses here that talk about suffering. And suffering, when you get a New Testament perspective on suffering, uh, you realize um, well, as Americans we don't have so much. <laughs> okay? We got brothers and sisters in other parts of the world that have a whole lot more Pascha than we've got. Okay? But to the degree that we Pascha, we can rejoice. Okay, to the degree that we suffer for the name of Christ, we can rejoice. Because on that proportionate basis then comes reward beyond, beyond what we can imagine. Okay? The special blessings in eternity that are beyond what we can imagine. So 42 uses including what you see there on the screen plus more. Matthew 16, 21, a whole string of them in Acts. Acts 1, 3, 3, 18, 9, 16, 17, 3. I don't know how far we'll get in this tonight. Um, 1 Corinthians 12, 26, Galatians 3, 4. I tried to pick the ones that you're familiar with and the ones that we've studied in other studies. Of course, Philippians 1, 29 is our passage tonight. It's a grace granting. It's a grace bequest. You know? If you think of it like a, like a last will and testament even, in, in, in a way, you know, Uncle Herbert dies and you, you all gather in the lawyer's office, you're wait, waiting to have the, the, the will read and you're all, you know, what am I going to get? <laughs> you know, because you figure, hey, you know, he was he was a rich guy. There's going to be all kinds of good stuff handed out here, and uh, this is our heritage in Christ. Okay, and be thankful for it. It's grace given to suffer for His sake. Um, and so that's Philippians one twenty nine where we are tonight. First Thessalonians two fourteen. Second Thessalonians one five. Uh, notice how many of these are Pauline. Second Timothy uh, one twelve. Hebrews 2.18, Hebrews 5, a string of them in Hebrews, notice, 2.18, and then, as if that's not enough for you, go get a dozen more in, in 1 Peter. 1 Peter is the book of suffering. I mean, if you ever want to study 1 Peter, what are you going to be su- You're going to be studying suffering. That's what it's about. So a dozen times in 1 Peter that you have the, the Pasco um, terminology. Okay? All right. So to believe and to suffer. And uh, you can't have one without... And that's the thing, you know, if you think that it's not right, you think it's a weird thing, you think, no, it's not weird, it's normal. Don't think that some strange thing is happening to you. It's normal. You are now a believer. That means you are now an alien and a stranger in this fallen world of darkness. And you're a target. didn't used to be, but now you are. All right, so get ready for it. Okay? Now, uh, in the time that we have, let's look at many of these that we can race through. 
we could turn this into a scripture memory exercise. Do you know what Matthew 16, 21 says? No, me either. Let's look at it. <laughs> Matthew 16, 21. From that time, and it's a real hinge, you know? Um, this chapter is interesting. There was another hinge back in chapter 12. Here's another hinge. And uh, it, it's kind of, I don't think it's an accident. It happens right after a great victory when uh, Peter, I mean, couldn't, couldn't answer any better. Who do you say that I am? And you are the Christ, Son of the living God, and blessed are you, Simon Barjona. And you just think, wow, this is a great episode. And you really want to end chapter 16 with verse 20 and kind of savor the, savor the victory. But sadly, there's more in this chapter, including a, a great defeat here on Peter's behalf. So in verse 21, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. It's a must. It's a have to. It's an obligation. Okay? And, and the scripture lays it out there. And if your theology doesn't like it, then I'm sorry, but that's what it says. And um, I, I've talked to believers that hate the have to language being applied to God. They just, they just they don't like it. They feel it's wrong. It can't be biblical because it, it's at odds with their theology. They think it's an attack on sovereignty, that God can't have any have to's because God is absolutely sovereign. He does what He wants. Well, Sovereignty means he does what he pleases, his good pleasure, not necessarily what he wants. And sometimes he doesn't get what he wants because he has a good pleasure that includes volition and includes other things. And uh, anyway, it's a have to. He must go to Jerusalem. He must suffer. And he must suffer many things. It's a have to. Again, I would point this out if you think you somehow are entitled to not suffer this way. Why? Jesus had to. And so Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And what a, what a genius inspiration of Scripture here to put um, verse 22 in the same chapter with verse 16, right? <laughs> yeah, Peter's great answer and Peter's horrible answer right there in the same chapter. And now Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. So that's, uh, that's not blessed to you, Simon Barjona. That's get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your, your stumbling block to me. You're not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. Okay? Another aspect that believers don't want to think about, they don't like the potential for Christ's humanity to fail. And so they, uh, they have a theology that demands that his humanity cannot fail. And that this is not really temptation. And this is not really, well, again, my apologies, but this is what the Bible says. Jesus called Peter a stumbling block. And if it's not real, if Jesus could not stumble, I'm talking humanity, I'm not talking deity. If Jesus in his humanity was not able to stumble, then Peter could not have been his stumbling block. But he tells him here, you're my stumbling block. That's why he says, get behind me, Satan. And uh, aspects there, all right? Acts 1-3. Acts 1-3. So, we get this, the passion of the Christ. Passion comes from Pasco. And so we have the passion of the Christ. He suffered. But we also suffer. So the passion of us, how about that? Acts 1-3, um, talking about the disciples. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. So again, it's our use of Pasco. It applies to Christ and His suffering. And you realize we're, we're followers of Christ. He suffered, we're going to suffer. And, uh, and there it is. Anyway, this is His resurrection ministry for 40 days between uh, Easter and, and uh, Pentecost. And uh, this is what He's doing. Okay, Why? What's the point? What's the doctrine? Do you think the, uh, do you think the lessons learned in the suffering were edifying to the apostles? those who are about to suffer, uh, they're going to learn a lot from Jesus after He completed His suffering and His victory and His glory and uh, deal with it there. Okay, 318. That's why, by the way, when we go through our sufferings, we are equipped to teach others. 
And uh, that's, that's in the things that we have victory in and the things we defeat. We have defeats in too, by the way. Say, look, I was suffering and I, I bailed. I, uh, you know, whatever. If you failed, teach that. If you, if you had victory, teach that. It's grace, teach that. Acts 3.18. Verse 17 says, And now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your rulers did also. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all His prophets, that His Christ would suffer, He has thus fulfilled. So, celebrate. Man, Scripture is being fulfilled. That's good news. <laughs> you know, when Peter says, Far be it from thee, Lord, this should never happen to thee, What's he saying? Well, I want the Scripture to be broken. I want the prophecies to not be fulfilled. He would never put that out loud, but that's what he's saying, right? I I won't fall away from you. Even though Zechariah says they all will fall away. The sheep will be scattered from the shepherd. And Zechariah says all of them are going to be scattered. And the disciples say, oh, not me, not me. They can run from you. I'm not going to deny you. (laughs) <laughs> okay, you really want Scripture to be broken? You want the prophecies to not be fulfilled? You want me to not go to the cross? You realize how insane that is? And, and what you, you, that's what you're really saying when you're, when you're complaining about, I don't like my sufferings. And it comes to our application as well. These things were spoken of ahead of time. Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation. Well, I, I want him to get that one wrong. Okay? Jesus, you can get most of your prophecies right, but that one, we'll just let that one go. No, everything Jesus says has to be fulfilled. He said, I'm going to have tribulation. I'm not going to make Jesus a liar. I'm going to have tribulation. Okay, thank you, Lord. Scripture is being fulfilled, and that's an encouragement. That is an encouragement. I see the whole world now angry at the United States and angry at Israel, angry at Jerusalem. I'm excited. The scripture is going to be fulfilled. And if all the nations are united against, uh, against uh, Israel, that's great. And if it's all but one at the moment, that's great. That means there's only one more to go. <laughs> okay? And uh, anyway, we put ourselves in a place of blessing according to Genesis 12.3. So that's, uh, where was that? That's Acts 3.18. How about Acts 9.16? More of the suffering. Here's Paul's call to ministry. So if you're in the seminary program and you're thinking about being a pastor someday, pay attention. Uh, The Damascus Road event calls Paul uh, from his Old Testament believer status to a New Testament believer status. And uh, his physical eyes are taken from him in the time of blindness until sight is restored. In the meantime, he's being given dreams and visions and he's, uh, he's seen in a vision a man named Ananias is going to come in and lay his hands on him. So when it actually happens, guess what? All right, Lord, I trust you now. <laughs> Here's this Ananias guy I saw before he got here and here we go. What else did the Lord tell him? He told him a lot more than just Ananias is coming to give you your sight back. And so, uh, anyway, it's a fun chapter. I love this chapter. And uh, the Lord is calling Ananias to go do this, and and he's nervous, of course. Uh, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind on all who call on your name. You know, big complaint here. Are you sure you got the right, you know, I don't want to go here. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. And then this so important verse, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Isn't that beautiful? That's his call to the ministry. And he's going to get it through Ananias as Ananias restores his sight. He's going to see the suffering, which makes me wonder, What's the suffering Ananias had in store for him? Okay. So Ananias departed and entered the house and there they go. All right. Uh, Chapter 17, verse 3. 
when he comes, and this is kind of first order of business. Um, he reaches a town. If they've got a synagogue, he's going to find it. He's going to find the Jews. He's going to start talking to them about their Bible, their Scriptures. According to Paul's custom, he went to them and for three Sabbaths he reasoned with them in the Scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer. Where was he getting that? From the Scriptures. He had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I'm proclaiming to you is the Christ. You know, if you've got a Jewish person you're trying to explain about Jesus, you know, this is a good way to do it. Go to their own Bible. Show them these passages. Show them the Messianic passages. A lot of them they've never seen before. A lot of them, I mean, i got Jewish friends in the Scrabble Club, they, they never heard of Isaiah 53. That's just, it never comes up in their, in their synagogue services. It never comes up in their, in their uh, lectionaries and in their readings. And, in their, and if it does come up, it comes up in some kind of a defense against those heretic Christian kind of things to, to prove that it's not really Messiah that's really Messiah there in Isaiah 53. Okay? And uh, anyway, show them from their own scriptures. Show them the suffering Messiah. That's how our own fruit to God saved. His own scriptures were showing him the suffering Messiah. And then once you lay out the case for the suffering Messiah, then you say, oh, by the way, Jesus did all that. And nobody else could do any of that. He's the one, he's the only. If he's not your Messiah, nobody is. You don't have a Messiah. And you just lay it out there like that. And let the power of the Word of God do its work. Anyway, he had to, he had to suffer and rise again from the dead because the Scripture said he would. He died for our sins according to the Scriptures and he rose again according to the Scriptures. Suffering also according to the Scriptures. 1 Corinthians 12, 26. I thought we'd get further than this. Okay, 1 Corinthians 12, 26. I'm rusty, what can I say? This is, I'll get back into the swing of things here. All right, 1 Corinthians 12, 26. More suffering. If one member suffers, all members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all members rejoice with it. Now we start to get into our application. Christ is the pattern. Christ is the example. What do we have now? The body of Christ. And Christ is in me, and Christ is in you, and Christ is in this other believer. And we all, guess what? The sufferings of Christ are now multiplied. And we get to be partakers in all of them. We don't just look at the other one and go, ooh, glad that's not me. Wait a minute, that is you. Because all things belong to you. You belong to Christ. Christ belongs to God. That is you. Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. You know, if you've got liver cancer, you know, and, and you happen to be a different part of the body, you're the, you know, you're the spleen or lungs or whatever, you know, oh, sorry pal, but it's going to kill the whole body. Wherever the, wherever the cancer is, if one member suffers, all members suffer with it. All right, and then Gal- oh, let me close with Galatians 3, 4. We'll have to call it a night. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Here we go. Galatians 3, 4. See, all you glass tappers, you're just tapping glass on your screen and you forget whether Galatians is in front of Ephesians or Ephesians is in front of... Because what's the order on that? You just tap in the button on the screen. All right. Anyway. Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was... Oh, I'm going to spend time with this. On Sunday morning we're going to spend some time in this. Because is it, is it empty suffering? Is there no purpose? Never. Not in the plan of God. God does nothing for no reason. There's a purpose for everything God does including our suffering. Same with His suffering. His suffering suited Him for His present ministry as head of the church. Our suffering suits us for what we're going to do in the resurrection. In Him. So we've got to spend some time with that. So we'll pick up on that. Remind me, if I forget, I will. Remind me Sunday morning. We want to pick up here in Galatians and uh, deal with the suffering there. Okay, Father, I thank You for Your grace. Your grace allowed me to believe. Your grace reached me at the right place at the right time with the right message. Your grace was sufficient, Father, in explaining the gospel to me and piercing that veil of darkness. Your grace was sufficient for me to believe and it's also sufficient, Father, for me to suffer. 
And I thank you for that grace. I pray that we would understand the connections between grace and suffering, that we would not do as the world does and associate suffering with what we've earned and deserved. Father, it's, uh, it's not an earned or deserved thing. Uh, it, is, it is grace, and I thank you for it. So open our eyes to these truths. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.